Come on, come on, Chris. Sing it again. Sing it again, Chris. And I... <laughs> I'm done. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the PEBCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 50 of 2021, and I got my booster shot and not feeling 100% today, but the show must go on. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have my co-host, Brian Deach, who is naturally immune to pandemic viruses. Thanks, Chris. I, I think that's because I drank hose water as a kid, and I'm made of 230 pounds of twisted still, sex appeal, women want me, men fear me, and dogs wish they could talk so they can hang out with me. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And Glenn Medina, who already got his booster. I feel for you, Chris, and thanks, everyone. Welcome back for joining us, and happy back for podcast number 38. Totally understand. I had my booster about a week and a half ago, and I, too, felt a little under the weather, but not too bad. The biggest thing was just trying to get some uh, exercise in and close those rings on my eye watch to compete against you guys because my arm was sore. But other than that, wasn't too bad. He just said eye watch. I love that. He doesn't, for everyone listening, he doesn't have an Apple Watch, he has an iWatch. That's right. <laughs> Did I say yeah, that wrong? <laughs> it's okay. I'm just the Apple the Watch challenge. Yeah, sorry yeah. guys. No guests this week. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, for our opening topic, I'm going to do a callback to last week's episode where we talked about search engine optimization. That's the technique to add keywords and phrases to your web page to get it higher in the search rankings. Well, my co-host Duke Silver had the brilliant idea to use his dad joke about the earth being flat to try and promote our podcast to flat earthers. Turns out LinkedIn does not like flat earthers and my post about last week's podcast got me shadow banned from LinkedIn. Now, what is shadow banning? Shadow banning is when users are still allowed to post content to a website like LinkedIn, Twitter, or Reddit, and the user believes that the post is public and everyone can see it. In actuality, the post is invisible except to the post author. This is worse than an outright ban because with an outright ban, the author knows that their post was removed. A shadow ban makes the user believe nothing is wrong, so thank you, Duke. Your advice to game the SEO system got me shadow banned, and now I have to appeal to LinkedIn to unban me. Do, do you actually really have to like appeal to be able to post again or no? What is this, LinkedIn court? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't tried to post since, but okay. I have the post. To me, it's marked as public. I sent the URL to you, and then you said you can't find the post. Yeah, so for everyone listening, specifically because we said the flat earth joke at the end of the, the podcast, I wanted to like make a comment on his LinkedIn post. And every Sunday night, like clockwork, um, Chris will always post uh, something on there. So I saw them on, uh, I think, on Instagram. But I went to LinkedIn. I couldn't find it. And I hit him up on uh, messages. I'm like, hey, where is this? He's like, I posted. I'm like, no, you didn't. And then he sends me a screenshot of you know the actual post and it has three views. And like, if, if you don't know much about Chris, like he had a huge following, right? So mm -hmm. three views over the course of like 12 hours, there was something suspect. So when I would click it, it would literally not even come up. So I was, I was shocked to think that, uh, we get shadow banned for talking about flat earth, but and it was even a joke. Was there like zero context to it? You know what I mean? 
was it was it are we sure that it was the flat earth joke that got a shadow banned or was it something else that we had said about trying to game seo and chris did you get a message from linkedin saying that you were banned somehow no, I didn't. I didn't get a message, but it makes the most sense. Like, like Brian said, like clockwork. I posted this you know, now thirty-seven times on LinkedIn without a problem, and then the one time I mentioned flat Earth, then that that's where they uh, throw down the ban hammer. And I'm guessing it has to do with some kind of LinkedIn policy about not spreading misinformation or not trying to promote I don't know alternative thinking styles. But yeah, that that's the only thing I could think of that got got us banned. Or got me banned. Well, hopefully this week you just put the Earth is round to start it off. Come listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Find out why we're even stating the obvious. Yeah, right. Well, sorry about that. I didn't think that anything negative would come up with it. Like I would see like a Facebook or Instagram, maybe, but like flat Earth is so dumb. Like you know, like it's, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. Whoa, whoa, hold on now. You mean the Earth's not flat, Brian? <laughs> Uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's it's more meme than anything. So, yeah, like you, I, I was surprised. Like, if, if I thought I would get banned for it, I definitely wouldn't have done it. Like, it's not like I'm posting anti-vax stuff or anti-Fauci stuff or anything like that. Like, like Flat Earth is a meme. And I guess for some reason, LinkedIn doesn't like promoting what they would consider misinformation. Well, the, the real thing behind all of this stuff is, and I guess I can actually talk about it. So... LinkedIn doesn't really go through there and censor anything, right? Like they, they might have a policy behind it, but the reality is there's companies out there that they outsource, they farm all this data out there. So Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, and, and it could be something, something, you know, like a misinformation or disinformation. It could be, you know, violence. It could be uh, nudity, like whatever you guys can think about. That should like be censored, content right? moderators. Yeah, and the way that in, what's incredible about this because I have a friend that works there. If he is, you know, looking at content for like I have no idea, Apple, for instance, and they deem it like this image is, you know, is bad or it's, you know, misleading, that's flagged. And then when it goes into Instagram, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I've posted content like on Instagram where it's like immediately removed, right? Like you just you can't have something on there, and it has something to do with their algorithm being like, oh yeah, we can interpret this image. It's more of someone else already saw this image before. We know that it's bad. So you just automatically ban, like remove. So they actually, they crowdsource all this information and they use it across all the different social networks. And that's why you have some sort of consistency behind some of the messaging or at least so I believe. And there's probably certain keywords that get flagged as well. So if, if any post contains flat earth, then that probably gets immediately flagged but just talking about it though immediately gets you banned or mentioning it not in a good or bad way or not having any type of political view on it gets you banned so that's kind of that's that's censorship that's really bad censorship it's like well i don't know my title said the earth is flat so i don't know if i was kind of asking for it because i was trying to get some shock value out of it We went the other way. Instead of trying to get trying to get to ten thousand listeners, we went to three. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the analytics are for this week's episode. More on that later. For our first topic, this episode's gonna be more fun topics that everyday people would benefit from rather than getting too tech heavy. 
I figured with the holidays coming up, people would appreciate these kinds of stories rather than ransomware of the week or who got owned this time. Like many things in tech, the Apple AirTags are a dual-use technology. They've been used to track down stolen cars, lost children, or that pesky Apple TV remote which constantly disappears into the couch cushions. These are all great use cases for the Apple AirTags, which is a little disc about one inch in diameter, and you can stick it on anything you want to keep track of, and your iPhone tells you exactly where it is at all times. And they allow you to track the precise location of an object with that army of iPhones. However, with great power comes great responsibility. Thieves in Canada have been using the Apple devices to track down and steal high-end cars. The scam works like this. Spotters will go to a mall or an area frequented by high-end cars. An Apple AirTag is attached to the car and the thieves wait for the car to leave the busy area. Once the car is taken home or a more quiet part of town, the thieves track it down using the AirTag and they steal the car. Putting a tracking device on a car is not new. Tile made the first affordable portable trackers and this is a major plotline in the TV show Breaking Bad. I do believe the only reason this story is making headlines is because it's Apple. Apple did program some anti-stalking features into AirTags to notify an unsuspecting user if an AirTag is not theirs that's following them around, but this has not been enough to stop high-end car thieves from finding the location of their next victim. Now, I've never actually looked into this. I, I have like eight AirTags, right? But how on earth, if I put something on a high-end device like a car, it drives away, how is it actually going to communicate back without anyone knowing that there's an air tag nearby. Does it disassociate with any random Wi-Fi? I doubt it. Or is it actually going through that phone and and, and pinging back? That is, I think it's going. Phone, I think it's going track. back to another Apple phone, right? It's the collective, the iPhone collective, or the Apple collective. Yeah, exactly. It uses Bluetooth low energy signals. It signals the army of iPhones around it, and then the iPhones actually phone back to Apple to report its location. That's crazy. Uh, be part of the collective. Be part of the Borg. Yeah, that's, that's what Tile's original thought was, too. He used an army of iPhones, and I think that's probably why they were not successful, Tile was, because you had to have the Tile app, and you had to give it, like, Bluetooth uh, permission always and location always so it would, it would know where you are. It would have Bluetooth on, and I think that was too creepy for some people, so they didn't, they didn't turn that on. And not everybody owns a Tile, but everybody, or at least half of the U.S., uh, owns an iPhone. So if you're able to, if you're near any iPhone, it can grab the the Bluetooth signal and then report back to Apple where the location of that device is. Flip this around, right? So if you have an iPhone and you've got one in your car that's tracking with you, they've got that privacy protections now. What if you're like some of the guys on our team or the one guy on our team that only has an Android, right? Or the people out there that have Android, it's not going to notify them that they're being tracked. So there's got to be, I wonder if there's any litigation against Apple on that saying, Hey, you've got to let other devices know that there's an air tag that's being tracked on you as well. That's true. Yeah. The anti-stalking feature, as far as I know, only works on Apple devices. Quick question. Do you have to be dumb enough to allow this device to phone back home? Right? Like, if it's if if a device you know if an air tag is tracking you does it just always track like period and then does it stop tracking if you say yes uh, there's there's a device close by that shouldn't be doing this so if you get the warning that says you're being tracked there's an option to disable that air tag so there is a it's so like if if somebody hides into my car i get the warning 
and I can't, I don't want to tear apart my car to find it. I can just hit a button on my iPhone and it, it disables that, that air tag. So they, they have that. So we're really banking, at least these in Canada, really banking on dumb people. Hmm. Or, you know, I gotta try this out. Yeah. If an air tag, I don't know what triggers it. Like if it's from the malt to your house, you try that, put in associate an air tag with your wife's phone and not have your wife with you, throw it in your car, drive from the mall to your house and see if you get the, the warning. This kind of reminds me of, if you think about it, you know, the association of, of Wi-Fi APs, right, or access points. Comcast is doing that, right? I don't know if AT&T is, but basically if you rent a Comcast router or have a Comcast router at your house, people can come by and swing and see that there's an open Comcast SSID. And you can connect to that SSID as long as you're a Comcast per, uh, subscriber. Very similar in nature, right? Because what you're actually doing is you're opening a door for a small piece of the network to show up. Yeah, I I didn't like that about Comcast, but I mean, I send all my internet-bound traffic through the world's best security solution, so hopefully nothing bad is getting out and nothing bad is, is coming in either. But yeah, I, I did not particularly like that about Comcast Xfinity and their, their so-called free Wi-Fi that they offer everywhere. Yeah. Well, speaking of free Wi-Fi, if you have Alexa or ring doorbells flood cameras uh they they all uh i think by default they're they opt in for the amazon sidewalk are you guys familiar with that yeah it's uh, like a low megahertz connectivity mesh or something yeah so yeah in theory right like if you have like a device you could just connect to any any random person's wi-fi it all becomes this is like you know a thousand different hotspots well, not a thousand multiple hotspots in your in your home that you just were not aware of. So I would recommend anybody that has that go into your Alexa app and, and opt out. Yeah, it's meant for things like smart sprinklers where you might not get a strong Wi-Fi signal out there, but you can get this low megahertz signal out there and then you could just crowdsource all these Amazon devices to connect everything. I mean, ultimately, it's so Amazon can sell more ring camera and uh, more cloud storage. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to connect devices that would normally not get Wi-Fi signal. That's how Zigbee, I thought Zigbee had a protocol that was specifically around that. Basically, they would, you know, all the devices would talk together and then they'd create this mesh, but it was only based off of a small, a lower frequency. I don't know if it was actually Wi-Fi or not. Yeah, Z-Wave and Zigbee are the two. Yeah. And that's what a lot of smart houses are powered with. I think Chris is uh, rocking the Z-Wave right now at the new place. I am. I am rocking the, the Z-Wave, so I've, I chose to go that route on the recommendation on one of our colleagues. So I have a I have one of the uh, the Z-Wave devices um, that if you walk into the shower, it triggers the, uh, have the um, bathroom fan, fan turn on automatically. And I just checked it the other day. I still have supposedly like 10% battery life, but the battery has been in there for six years. It's not ever been replaced once. Like that's incredible, if you ask me. Yeah, that, that's the difference between Wi-Fi and something like Z-Wave. Yeah, very, very low energy. Well, good luck, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to a town near you. <laughs> it's a good thing I only drive a Prius. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right, on to our next topic. I'm going to open this story by saying that I do not like the company Tile, the original company that made those keychain tracking devices. I had a 
very poor experience with them in the past, and they showed no, no signs of changing their ways. They were recently sold off to another company called Life360 for $250 million. Life360 bills themselves as a family safety platform. Well, it turns out that Life360 has a history of selling precise user location data for both parents and children to anyone who's willing to pay, including so-called information brokers. Former employees of Life360, speaking on the condition of anonymity, say that the company does not use proper know-your-customer protocols to ensure that the data they sell is not abused. For anyone on the fence about Tile, there's absolutely no reason anyone should still be using one instead of the Apple's AirTags, I guess unless you don't own an Apple device like our friend Ryan Payne. We've talked extensively about Apple and how they still collect massive amounts of data on their users, but at the same time, they have a very strict privacy guideline and are constantly implementing features to protect user privacy. At the end of the day, they are an iPhone company. Unlike Amazon, Google, and Facebook Meta, they are not an advertising company, so I accept the risk of having Apple hold my data over any of the other tech giants. So it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I know a lot of parents that use Life360 as you know coaching opportunities for their kids with their driving and whatnot. And what's interesting is my uh, my kids were playing this game called uh, Senior Assassins. You use like squirt guns or whatever. And the uh, we had to go pick up one of the girls because she was trapped, whatever. Like it's not, it's not like serious, right? But it's just like she didn't want to get squirt. Um, so as we're driving away, like we're in my truck and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hauling butt, right? Like this, this is what it's built to do. She's like, oh my gosh, I need to turn off, you know, I put my phone, my, uh, my phone on airplane mode or they're going to get notified uh, that I was speeding on this, uh, you know, 25 mile an hour street or something like that. And uh, I thought that was, you know, kind of interesting. I had no idea that they were selling information, right? And that, that could be kind of scary. So yeah, we don't use Life360. Um, I, I need to dig into it, but we do use something called uh, Moto Safety. It's like a little thing that plugs into the uh, the ODB port on the, on the car. And what's nice about that is that you get GPS tracking, and then it also gives you like a, a grade and score that we use to, to help the kids uh, with their driving. They have no idea how it works. I mean, it, it is tamper-proof to a degree. Like if they unplug it, like I'll get notified that, that it was unplugged. But what I, I what I really like about it is probably some privacy built into this. I don't know that they're selling my data. I need to actually go read the the terms and conditions. So I would say 100% ditch Life 360. Uh, if you're looking, if you're a parent and you want to be able to have you know some control and visibility into how your kids are actually driving, I think uh, you know Moto Safety is pretty good. I think the device was like 50 or 60 bucks on Amazon, and then you have to pay like an annual fee um, to have that connectivity because it's 4G. And then I think it's only a matter of time until find my quote unquote friends or family um, changes. Cause now I, I noticed the other day they have the live view. So when you go to, you know, click on your kid or your, or, or your spouse um, before it would be like an approximate location, but now it's live. And if they're driving, you actually see the dot move. So I think they're evolving that over time. Yeah, I, I, I used Life360 a long time ago, you know, when the kids first got cell phones, and I realized that kids couldn't even make it home without having a need to charge their phone sometime during the middle of the day from school. And it's like, this is dumb. Why is this Why is this application taking up all the battery? But we're probably talking iPhone 3, 4, and 5 back then. So things have gotten a lot better, I can only imagine. 
Um, Been around I, for a yeah. while. But I mean, are, is anyone really shocked these days that any all these applications are collecting data and, and and selling them? I mean, I'm not really shocked. So I've gone in and I've, I mean, we've had an episode where I think we were talking about application information sharing um, within the phone itself. And I've gone in and I've, I've turned a lot of that off now. And I'm, I'm hoping that stuff is true to it true to its word that it you know it's not sharing any information you know across platform so well if you listen to the earnings calls of companies like snapchat and facebook and they're actually saying that that apple feature has severely impacted their their ad revenue uh, to the negative because of the prevention of cross-app tracking so that's any evidence that it's working i think it's it's seeing that their ad revenue declined because they're not getting as much information from users as they used to Chris, you freaking nerd. You imagine, like, what are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm going to listen to the Snapchat's earnings call. Like, that's not even on my top 1,000 to-do list. Well, you're the one that wants to read the t- terms and conditions for Life360. or uh, No, not for Life360. The Yeah, the, the Moto Safety. Well, I, now I need to. I'm wondering, you know, I'm paying for it, so I better not be the product. So, wait, wait. Yeah. Wasn't this one of our podcasts as well? It's like, who's actually gone, who actually has read through the terms and conditions of anything that we, yeah. the T's and C's of anything we've ever signed up for? So, Brian, are you saying that you're going to go read through this 10 page list? He'll be the I first. Think I might, yeah. Yeah. I might, I, I might have to go through it. I'm curious. I, I, I kind of assume since I'm, you know, I'm paying a monthly fee that um, my information is not being shared, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go through it for sure. Yeah, and on a note of paying for something, one thing that surprised me was I heard a stat about you know, those smart TVs like LG and Samsung, they all make these smart TVs. They get like more than half their revenue from selling ads on these smart TVs, and there's just there's no way to turn it off. So you buy a TV for you know, 800 bucks, 1500 bucks, you think that's, that's it, you own it free and clear, but no, they just bombard you with ads, and they're just making tons of money selling these ads. That's why you got to turn that off or find a way to block it so that way you can never get a copy of those ads. Right, Chris? Right. Pie hole. Pie hole is a good option that I've, I've go. heard works works pretty well for people. There you go. Well, as we enter the Christmas shopping season, we want to put yet another scam on our listeners' radar to watch out for. Two weeks ago on episode 36, we talked about phishing scams and how they tend to surge around major shopping holidays. The Better Business Bureau is now warning about so-called brushing scams. Have you ever received something in the mail from Amazon that you just did not order? Well, about 1 in 25 Americans have and thought they hit the jackpot with a free item. In actuality, the seller on Amazon is putting through legitimate orders and sending the items to random people. Now, these sellers are not UNICEF, so what do they have to gain? It turns out that Amazon favors products in these search rankings with a high volume of sales and positive reviews. Positive reviews attached to a legitimate purchase are more favored on the e-commerce platform. So imagine this scenario. I sell widgets on Amazon. When you search for widgets, my product is on the bottom of page 3 in the search results. Then I use fake or stolen Amazon accounts and buy my widget on Amazon, and I send it to Glenn and Brian without their knowledge or consent. They receive the widget and keep it, they throw it away, they give it away, then I use those Baker Solon accounts to write a glaring 5-star review for my widget. Now my widget is in the middle of page 2 of the search results, and I keep doing this enough until I'm at the top of page 1. Well now I go, go look at my review history and see if uh, 
my accounts have ever been compromised. If anything, this is good password hygiene, right? Just annually or quarterly start to start to change stuff, even if you're using a password manager. Yeah, but I I think what they're saying is that people are creating fake ones as well, right? So you don't necessarily know if they're using a fake account or using yours, but they're just you're just you're just the the person that gets lucky and is getting this free thing, whatever it is. Well, there's there's reviews and there's Amazon verified purchases too. Yeah. So you can you can usually tell if you're reading the reviews on there. Not yeah. that I spend a lot of time on Amazon reading yeah. the terms and conditions, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's I, another I, problem is you got to be careful of fake reviews. That uh, company Fiverr, uh, the, basically the Fiverr's tag is you pay a random person five bucks and they'll do whatever you want. Like there's pay five bucks and I'll drink this bottle of water on camera for you or something weird like that. But uh, some people on Fiverr are saying, give me five bucks. I'll write a positive review for your, your item. And they got, they got in trouble when people would buy that product, give it a five star review in exchange for a free product or money. So you can use a site. So there's a site called reviewmeta.com. I'll link it in the show notes and you can determine how many of the reviews are fake and how many are legitimate. And, and you'll be surprised. Like if you, if you throw an item on there that has maybe 10,000 reviews and it's, uh, I'll pick on something like a, a webcam from China. It's four and a half stars, 10,000 reviews. You put it through review meta and this thing's like a two star thing because there's, it's just overinflated with all these fake reviews that uh, review meta puts through their algorithm and, and finds out which ones they believe are real and which ones are, are, are fake. Yeah. I've got a different issue with Amazon and that's, getting the wrong package delivered to my door clearly not my address clearly not my name and they deliver two or three packages of the same ones and it's like guys get this together so you go you go you go to the website you try and return it and they tell you okay what what didn't show up so you go through this laundry list of, of things that didn't show up or did show up and then they say okay we'll we'll refund you or we'll resend out another package totally sorry for that cool what do I do with this package that just showed up? Why is it? Can you pick it up? And they're like, no, we're not built for that. I'm like, you dropped it off. Why can't you pick it up? It's the same Amazon card that I see or van rolling around my neighborhood 10 times a day through my front door. They don't pick it up. Well, they said you can either throw it away or you can keep it. And it's like, what is this? This is, this is crazy that, uh, and this has happened at least like once every three to six months. I don't know if you guys ever run into that problem, but it's odd that they're, they're just like giving away other people's stuff and just okay to replace it. Well, if anybody wants to send me like a Tempur-Pedic mattress, like go right ahead. I'll, I'll call and try to give it back. Yeah. Yeah, that happens to me. I live in a complex and some of the addresses look similar. They're off by like one number. So yeah, without a doubt, at least once a month, a package gets delivered to the wrong building. I usually just walk it over to the correct building. I, I did try that thing to contact Amazon before and I got the same runaround as you. They're like, well, you could take a cab, send us the receipt and we'll we'll refund you for your cab fare. I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> just, I'm just going to walk over there and, and drop this off if it's close enough. You should tell us about your uh, how you came across the soundbar that you have nowadays. <laughs> yeah, so that was yeah, so that was an interesting one. Uh, so, like I said, I live in a complex and we have a mail room, and uh, there was this, this soundbar. There's a Samsung soundbar sitting in the mail room, and like 
we generally don't like we, we go through our phases of package theft but in overall i don't i don't consider it a huge problem living here about about porch pirates and the soundbar was just sitting there for three almost four weeks and i said okay well somebody really doesn't want their soundbar so i i looked at the name of who it was i was going to bring it up to their unit so it would sit in front of their door maybe they don't check the mail room and then uh, it turns out it was a guy that moved out like five years ago. So I said, okay, well, I, I happen to know this guy. I know he lived here. I know he's not here anymore, but I don't have his contact info. So I contacted the management company. They had no forwarding address. I, I got in contact with the real retailer. And I said, I think this guy sent it in the wrong spot. Like, can you, can I ship it back to you? Can you come pick it up? And they're like, no, you know, it's, it's been three weeks. Uh, yeah. Like they said, something like what you, Glenn, like we're not equipped to, come pick it up and we're not, we can't print a label for you or anything. So I said, all right, well, this soundbar is just going to sit here. I think I did my due diligence and tried That's to return right. it to its rightful owner. So I'm like, all right, cool. I can get, I got a free soundbar now. Nice. Well, number one, like I've been in my house for like 10 years. I don't know one neighbor, <laughs> like let alone someone that moved away five years ago. So good for you. And then two, either like you just got great luck or this is a Russian plant. They sent it to you knowing that you would pick it up. It's riddled with ah, malware. There you go. It's got listening devices inside there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good point. I should sweep my place for bugs. Who's that guy, that Russian guy that we did an episode on a while back? <laughs> From the Darknet Diaries? Yeah, Darknet Diaries. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Oh, the the Black Cube, that yeah. private intelligence yeah. firm. Did, did that come around the time that we did Black Cube, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was this was even before the podcast started. <laughs> yeah, I've had it. I've had it ever since. It's it's a good sound bar. I mean, I, I tried to do the right thing, and they're just like, yeah, feel free to keep it. So I'm like, all right, that's all we try to do. That's all we ever try to do, right? So. Yeah. All right, for our last topic, and it's going to be a rotating topic every week, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about you, the listeners. Every year around this time, the music streaming service Spotify does something called the year-end wrap-up, where they tell you what your favorite song was for the year, what genre of music you listen to the most, and just some other random stats that you can post on social media and give Spotify some free advertising. Us, as a content, content creators and podcast producers, we get a special wrap-up summarizing these stats for our shows, specifically for our listeners on Spotify. According to the site analytics, we average about 4,500 listeners worldwide per week. At the time of the Spotify wrap-up, we released 1,215 minutes of content across 36 episodes. On Spotify alone, we reach listeners in 14 different countries, so we would like to give a shout-out to our listeners in Singapore, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Switzerland, Denmark, Malaysia, Pakistan, Azerbaijan, and Slovenia. So thank you to all our listeners. We do this for you, and we wouldn't have an amazing podcast without you. I'm calling dibs on the guy or girl in Switzerland. We like to do the podcast from there. So if you have like an Airbnb or something, uh, shoot it our way. That's it. I'm surprised Costa Rica's not in there. Yeah, I guess nobody downloaded our podcast while 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 they were down there. I wore my shirt. Uh, sorry, I represented. <laughs> you did. You did your it job. Didn't, it didn't catch on with the locals, though. I guess. guess not. I don't think they understood what that was. Maybe there's an acronym yeah, gotta, for that. And in uh, you got to point to your shirt and say like and subscribe. That's it. 
that's what we should have put on the back was like and subscribe and the front says podcast yeah. podcast there you go there you go so you show on the front and then you turn around and point to the back and go, yep like and subscribe anything surprising to you about the the analytics that came up I, I was surprised that of how many different countries we reach, especially non, you know, primarily English speaking countries like Western Europe, like the Five Eyes Nations, of course, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the UK, like we, we definitely have listeners there. Uh, some of the, East, the Western European countries as well. We have listeners in like Munich and, and Germany. But yeah, I, I was surprised we reached like the, you know, the Philippines and Pakistan, Azerbaijan, some of those, those countries. I have relatives that live in Denmark so maybe they were the ones listening to it but yeah it was that that was probably the most surprising part of our, our international audience to my folks in the Philippines no from Russia to the folks in the Philippines <laughs> thank you guys very much for listening I'm still surprised we had no one from Russia no I think yeah. Putin would be a great like he'd probably be listening all the time he, he's listening but end. he's listening but from Azerbaijan or Slovenia <laughs> No, he's listening he's, from Chris's soundbar. He's got a VPN. <laughs> he's got a VPN in. <laughs> exactly. He's listening through my soundbar. That's hilarious. But yeah, just wanted to thank our listeners, and you guys are awesome, and we do the show every week for you. Definitely. Thank you all. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, I'm up. What is Whitney Houston's favorite type of coordination? Don't and I... <laughs> oh, God. That took a second. <laughs> Chris, uh, who knew you could sing? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. All right. To wrap things up. Thieves are using air tags to steal high-end cars. Tile got acquired by Life360, and they are selling precise location data, so be sure to read those terms and conditions. Watch out for brushing attacks and fake reviews on Amazon this holiday season. And thank you to all our listeners, both domestic and international. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling somebody else about it. And thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host, Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. Stay warm for our Northern Hemisphere listeners. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Sweden, I'm looking at you. Hook it up. Up my stick. <laughs>